Welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics, and I'm talking about comic books. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Hines, along with my brother. Uh, Will Hines, that's me, I'm the other co-host. Yeah, and we are two brothers who grew up reading these comic books and now are recording a podcast talking about these comic books. And we are also UCB performers and teachers. And uh, one of us, me, lives in New York City, and one of us, Will, lives in Los Angeles. So you're getting a bi-coastal approach here to these comic books. And Kevin, we're talking about the Fantastic Four. Yeah, this season we've been covering the entire Fantastic Four run that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee did, which is 102 issues plus, I think, five annuals, Mm -hmm. which is an enormous amount of comic books. That's right. Too many. And we just got off doing, like, the best year-long run of the entire 102 issues, which ended with issue 53 in our arbitrary, not that arbitrary, but sort of arbitrary distinction. And now, how would you describe the phase we're about to do today? I mean, I I guess I would just describe it as the rest. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's bad for, yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Um, in fact, these next handful of issues, reading rereading my notes, I'm like, oh, this is good. This is good. Yeah. There's, a, there's a couple dud storylines, I think, at the very end of the ones we're covering today when we get to like the Cree stuff I don't really love and the him slash Adam Warlock stuff isn't that great. That's about four issues. But that's about all I remember not liking in my reread. The rest were just like very readable, very fun, but just not next level good. Something changes though. Like it's – yes, they're, they're basically really good issues that are really fun. They're really good Fantastic Four adventure stories. But uh, it's like almost like there's less amazing new characters or something like that. Like Jack does – Something happens where he is either less invested or we just kind of get into a cruising mode or I don't know. Like, I I never can remember these issues. Like, I can't forget the Galactus trilogy. And I always have to be like, what are these ones again? Well, I know that when the Silver Surfer solo book starts, which is not until issue 77, which we're not covering today, Jack was really mad that he was not involved in the Silver Surfer solo book that Stan sort of took his character away from him. Mm -hmm. And that created a rift where I've read that Jack decided not to create new characters anymore. Yeah. And so whenever that issue started getting made, which is maybe a couple issues earlier, I think what I've read that the only new character that comes after that is Annihilus. Okay, yeah. um, Who's a great character. Yeah. (laughs) I think. But there's also the chance that maybe he had started that issue before. You know, it's unclear when things are started, when they're finished. How I know they turn these things around really quickly. But yeah, that's been a widely reported beginning of the end of their relationship Stan and Jack was the Silver Surfer solo book. It makes me ache to think how much money Martin Goodman must have made off of all these things and he's the guy the guy who you know the the owner of Marvel Comics the publisher uh, compared to Jack Kirby like it makes my heart ache. Even more than Stan Lee Martin Goodman was a bad guy um, and I think he probably used Stan as sort of a cover. I mean I guess it's just capitalism is the bad guy but it's just strange that a dude can own all the intellectual property without creating any of it. Yeah. I mean, he could afford to make comic books. The other guys couldn't. Yeah. The world is unfair. And um, I declare this podcast to be an advocate for Marxism as of right now. Wow. (laughs) Yep. That was a very extreme take. Yep. Workers of the world unite uh, is the new name of this podcast. Uh, This and uh, this episode of Workers of the World Unite, we're talking about the Fantastic Four. (laughs) 
Okay, great. Yeah. Fantastic. That's where you start. Yeah. That's where I think Marx started as well. If Marx was alive, I think he would have really jumped on the Fantastic Four as an example of uh, what's wrong with capitalism. So this episode, we're going to be covering 17, 16 or 17 issues, um, which is a lot, but not as many as we are going to cover in the next batch. <laughs> uh, we're covering from issue 54 to 67 plus two annuals today. And then next time we will cover 68 to 102 plus one more annual. Yeah. And that is an absurd amount. Impossibly impossible. Probably impossible. Possibly impossible. Possibly impossible. Uh, So today we're going to go pretty quick Mm -hmm. through some of these. I guess if panels jump out at us, we'll talk about them. But otherwise, we'll kind of just hit general beats and things. I'm going to be relying heavily on my notes more than the issues themselves. Yes. Um, well, why don't we jump into it with issue 54, Evil Eye? Yeah. And this issue sort of wraps up the Black Panther storyline about half, a little bit more than half the issue. They're still in Wakanda. Yeah. It starts with uh, like the Fantastic Four and the Black Panther playing American baseball. Um, that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's real fun. It, it's like those old X-Men comics where they used to play baseball. They get to use their powers and they run around and they're all laughing, especially after the Galactus and this man, this monster saga. It's nice for them to have a little fun. People love baseball as a popular sport. And uh, I think especially in the 60s, like baseball was just like a symbol for Americanism. War movies would always show like American soldiers talking baseball with like the British allies and stuff like that. And uh, FF are keeping up that tradition. I bet you. uh, And it's funny to see Black Panther with a baseball mitt. That's funny to me. Yeah, it's also probably easier visual than uh, basketball where everyone sort of clustered together. Yeah. And uh, football takes more people. There's just more standing around in baseball, too. The swing of the bat is such a singular moment in baseball that you can show a lot of power stuff. It's probably fun. Yeah. And everyone gets to do different things. The thing throws the ball. Yeah. Wyatt Wingfoot gets a hit off of him. Reed stretches to catch it. Like, those are all, like, fun things fun. that you can't get as much in other sports. Then we head into Wakanda. Who's playing the piano here? Oh, they just have a piano player hired. <laughs> Yeah. There's just like a guy on a grand piano at Wakanda just like just busting up tunes, busting out tunes. That's yeah. funny. Uh, King T'Challa is rich. Uh, he gives them all gifts. He gives Johnny and Wyatt some big gyroscopic trackball thing to drive around so they can try to track down the Inhumans' great refuge, I guess. Yeah, because Johnny's missing his girlfriend, Crystal. Yeah, they're supposed to be in college, but Wyatt and Johnny just never go. They don't go back for a while. (laughs) I guess if you're a world-famous superhero, you just get automatic sabbaticals whenever you want. Or his roommate. Yeah, if you're the roommate of a superhero, that's a a law in college. Um, Yeah, but but like they were in their dorm room when they decided to go to Wakanda for a weekend, and now they just aren't going back. (laughs) It's fun. Uh, We cut to the Inhumans, actually. They're in the Great Refuge, Kevin, and they are trapped inside of a dome that Maximus the Mad has created. Maximus the Mad, a real giveaway of a nickname. Yeah, and he looks crazy now. They've just steered into that insanity. Yeah. Uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I love these little cutaways of the Inhumans, sort of just like, let's see what's going on with the rest of our cast, as if the Inhumans are just part of the story now forever. Maximus is working on some gadget that flies around like without a motor. Everybody in Jack Kirby comics is able to, at any point, make gadgets uh and they're trying to trick maximus into breaking the barrier but uh that's not uh i don't think he does that and i and i jump back i jump that's before now black i'm at the point now where black panther gives them all the gifts i love it i also like seeing reed in casual clothes the top of page seven he looks like a a banana republic model he's a very handsome gentleman um okay so johnny and wyatt begin their adventures right like they get into their little gyroscope machine and they're off looking for crystal is that right yeah they kind of go off on a little solo adventure these next few issues sort of split the team up and they like 
this issue, you know, the end part of this issue is just Johnny and Wyatt. It it feels I wrote in my notes that it feels modern in the way that like up till now all these comics have been all four of them doing everything together. Yeah. They don't split up for very long for more than a page or two. Um, Johnny not being in the last issue and the, this man, this monster issue for more than a subplot felt weird, but here it just feels normal. It's like, yeah, these guys are just going about their lives until some emergency pulls them back together. It feels very X-Men. Yeah. And I guess that's what I mean by modern. It doesn't feel like early Marvel comics. It feels like, yeah, more like Claremont comics. Uh, it feels more like a comic I would read today where it's like, oh yeah, this story, we're just it's just about the human torch. So the bulk of the story is Wyatt and Johnny go somehow underneath the earth and they wake up a guy named Press. Wait, John of a- Avalon? Prest- What's his name? Prester? Prester John, I think, is what he calls himself. Okay, and he's like a knight of the round table type of dude or whatever? Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's a Jack Kirby knight because his helmet looks like it's from the future. Crazy Jack Kirby headgear. This, you know, this story, I think, is kind of boring if, you know, according to the very high standard of a Jack Kirby comic, but it's still so beautiful. Like everything looks so great. Uh, Prester John of Al- Avalon's rem- reminisces of old kingdoms. Everything he remembers is like this beautiful, epic <laughs> drawing of like magic kingdoms that have both science and magic going on. And even when they first find him on page 11, he's sort of sitting in like this weird high-tech bathtub with some weird <laughs> like a uh, bathosphere dome on his head but it's all just so strange looking but like it is visually i can't it's pleasing it's beautiful yeah. it's so easy to look at and so what they get into a fight with him or something like that and yeah i mean it's uh they he's got some device that they think can help them open up the the great, great refuge. refuge and so they're trying to get it from him but Wyatt decides it's too dangerous and, and destroys it because it might kill Johnny and using it. Okay, so they're mad. We cut back to the Inhumans, and Kevin, Maximus the Mad is helping Triton. I'm confused. Yeah, they've, they've talked. He's mad, so they've talked him into trying to open up the refuge, knock down the barrier. Yeah. But he's mad, and it doesn't work. Um, he also gives Triton some ability to breathe water walking around the land. Yeah, so like Maximus is sort of an inventor genius of the Inhumans, but he because he's so evil and crazy, he doesn't always help them. But yeah, it makes Triton a much more useful character. So we cut back to Prester John of Avalon, and these they got I don't know they seem upset with each other. Johnny's got the device. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. I'm trying. I'm trying to go faster as we discussed. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, and so I had talked about this part. This is the device that uh, oh, Johnny thinks can open the Great Refuge, and why it shoots it out of his hands because it's too dangerous, uh, and it explodes, and then Johnny cries. Good issue. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, Prester John is dumb, <laughs> but it's not bad. So we go to issue 55, Silver Surfer. Yeah, this is an issue where the thing gets jealous. He's been jealous that Alicia likes the Silver Surfer more than him, which is not true, yeah. but he thinks it's true. So he goes to beat up the Silver Surfer. Uh, um, I think, meanwhile, uh, Reed and uh, Sue are starting their honeymoon finally. Uh, they're wearing their civilian clothes in the splash page. I love the FF in civilian clothes. I might never have them in their uniforms if I was in charge of them. I might have them just doing like a fashion show. Is Ben right to be jealous? Because Silver Surfer and Alicia do have a kind of friendship. They're friends, but I guess I would not beat up a male friend of my wife's <laughs> yeah i don't know he's walking around your wife's house wearing nothing but a white speedo he's made of gleaming silver he's 
super yeah, jacked. I mean, he's an alien. Yeah. He's an alien, Man. but I don't think I blame him for his species. Maybe you do. Maybe you're the more of the jealous type. Maybe I am, yeah. I would trust I my wife I... who loves me and tells me that all the time and not trust uh, the nothing that I'm basing their relationship on. Uh, there's a line of dialogue I really like on page seven when the thing is beating up the surfer and the surfer exclaims, my former friend is displeased. And he's just been like punched like what looks like a quarter of a mile. <laughs> it's a funny He takes reaction. the punch very easily. He's pretty chill. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing walks in a room, sees them <laughs> touching each other and just punches him out of the room. I think that's an overreaction. Yeah. But you're not catching them in bed together. I know. He's wrong, but you know what? It's um it's very uh alpha male. And this is a man sure. who's made of rock. Um in in these comics characters have to react at 100% <laughs> to make anything happen. So if things showed up and he was like a little jealous, the story never gets started. He has to walk in the room and immediately be the most jealous he's ever been. Silver Surfer's already become the philosopher that we know him as. Like, he's more, like, intrigued by things than, like, angry. He's sort of like Spock, just sort of being, like, curious, you know, um, what what strange behavior and stuff like that. Yeah, he, like, was watching, like, he went to check out the mountains for a bit, and he likes watching Alicia make her uh, art. I will say this for the thing. He holds his own against the Silver Surfer, who outclasses him by a lot. Yeah, Silver Surfer's a galactic-level force right and you know he if he wasn't cursed by galactus he's got the ability to fly between planets and he's got these energy bolts that are really strong i guess and like you know this guy's tangled with beings from multiple star systems and thing just walks up and clobbers him uh they start fighting over they like the thing realizes how destructive this is so sort of lures him to the always abandoned warehouse district yes the conveniently he gets him into Manhattan, but the warehouse district of Manhattan, a district I've never heard of, but I guess where if this in this version of Manhattan, no human beings live, so they can just go nuts on the buildings. Yeah. We do check in with Johnny and Wyatt a little bit because yeah. um, they're still trying to find uh, Crystal, and they do find Lockjaw, yeah, Lockjaw, the teleporting dog. Yep. He can teleport. He could theoretically bring them right to the Great Refuge, but they, he's a dog, so they can't communicate him or order with him or order him. So they're at his mercy a little bit. Yeah. Uh, their plan, I think, is just to follow him around. <laughs> um, he's, Lockjaw's just so fun. When Lockjaw shows up, I'm just always in a good mood. Everyone loves Lockjaw. He is the most popular character in Marvel Comics. I agree with that. I agree with that ranking. And if they don't make a solo movie about him soon, they're really missing an opportunity. Yeah, or maybe like... Um, a hundred episode television series. Just about Lockjaw? Yeah. Lockjaw and the Enforcers? Oh, the, yeah, you got me. Lockjaw and the Enforcers. You got it, baby. Oh, man, if Lockjaw joined the Enforcers, they'd be unbeatable. <laughs> I mean, they're already so close to unbeatable. I think so. All right, so in the warehouse district, there's a big battle, um, and then John, and then Reed and Sue show up at some point, right? Yeah, they cut out of their honeymoon because Alicia called them because they're worried about Thing beating up her friend. Reed takes the surfer and side. Yeah. And you agree with him. The, the, the thing is wrong. <laughs> is that, I'm sorry. Do you not get that part? I don't know. I kind of get it. I'd be mad if the Silver Surfer was hanging around my girl. I would definitely be. I'd be jealous for sure. He just. The thing is the reason a block of New York City empty warehouses have been destroyed. 
Okay, he's he's uh, he's reacting a little bit strongly. I like the way Reed dresses Ben down at the bottom of page nineteen. This uh, is some it's real great. Stanley dialogue. Listen, Ben, we've been friends for years. I'd give my life for you, and you know it. But you big blister-brained baboon, if you don't apologize to him for acting like a misanthropic madman, I'll show you what clobbering really means. That's uh, quite fun. Yeah, and even before that, there's a bit where uh, Reed mentions that Alicia has been crying. And the thing goes, sure, over that crummy silver surfer. And Reed gets P.O.'d. When are you going to grow up, Grim? Or are you trying to prove you're really as dumb as you look? The surfer doesn't mean anything to Alicia. He's not even human. She felt sorry for him, and that's all it was. It's you she's worried about. She was afraid you'd be injured fighting over nothing. And that's why he's wrong. Well, (laughs) Reed should turn this uh, moralizing on to his own behavior, though, you know? Well, I mean, yes, Reed is a, I mean, thank God we didn't have to check in on the honeymoon where Reed was probably just lecturing Sue on not talking to him. Yeah. Uh, This issue ends with a silver surfer giving Thing and Alicia some flowers. Yeah. He like materializes them and I wonder if they're like space flowers. I mean, they for sure are. Love it. He also like zaps their uh, flying bike and fixes it. I mean, the silver is very powerful. Yeah, he can just make flowers. He can fix machines. Pretty cool. Let's go on to issue 56. Yes. Claw. The enemy of the Black Panther is back, but he's transformed. Yeah. So last time we saw Claw, he was a human with sort of a sonic gun on his hand. But to escape um, a collapsing cave, he jumped into his whatever sound uh, device that created the sound creatures. It makes sense if you read that issue. Now we're really starting to see um, Reed get into some negative zone stuff. That's pretty fun. It's still called subspace in this issue, it looks like. Uh, I don't remember when it changes. It's soon, though. It's trapped behind the negative zone. That's what they're saying now. Like, the negative zone is like an area you go through to get to subspace. Is that what they say? Where do they say that? Top of page four. Oh, no. Uh, Nope. I'm wrong. Yeah, they're they're still talking about the Inhumans there. So they're using negative zone to describe the dome that is enclosing the Great Refuge. Yes, but and at some point when that that gets broken down in a few issues, by the time we meet Blastar, I think the negative zone is now the negative zone, but still called subspace. Uh, but there's this great picture on uh, uh, page three of yeah. Reed looking through a portal to <laughs> subspace slash the negative zone. Yeah, with some weird creature watching him. Yeah, that's classic Reed right there. Um, so let's, we go back to the Inhumans, right? And uh, they're still trying to get out of the Great Refuge. Uh, yes, uh, they're still trying to get out, and like Medusa's crying or something. Uh, it's all confusing. Uh, again, I love these little cutaways, uh, even though nothing is really happening. Like they're just trying to get out and they're failing. The fact that we're checking in, it's more than just sort of like, oh, we haven't seen them for seven or eight issues, and here they are getting out. It's like we need to see that they're still around. Yeah, we check in with them. Um, and I love it. And now we go back and Claw is, is he fighting the Invisible Girl? Yes. He attacks the yes. Invisible so Girl. On page, on page four, Claw sort of takes out with one blast the thing and Reed. Ouch. And now he's going to take down the Invisible Girl. And it's her alone versus Claw. I'm excited for this because we want her to, you know, we want her to have a moment. You know, we're 56 issues into this run. Yeah. She mostly spends it afraid, but she holds her own. The shield, she's her force field, can um, stop Claw's blast. It's a very strong shield, and then she finds one of Reed's like gizmo guns, and shoots Claw, and but it doesn't do anything. And then he zaps her with sound. Okay, so it doesn't really do that much. 
And meanwhile, the thing and Reed are sort of trapped in a room where Claw has left them, and they're trying to like blast it down. And the thing's like ripping huge pieces of machinery out, trying to knock down this door or this sound barrier. I assume that's been put up. Uh, this is, and this is where one of your favorite sequences comes. Yes, yeah, one of my favorite jokes. So Reed and Ben are trapped, and Reed, you know, whips up some gizmo to like fight back against Claw, and he puts it on Ben. And um, yeah, it's to help break through the sound barrier that Claw's yeah. put up to trap. So them. Reed says, "There's one thing we can try, even though it may be dangerous." Ben goes, "Dangerous for who?" Reed goes, "For you, I'm afraid. Since you're the stronger of us, you're the one who'll have to attempt it." And then Thing's response is, "How come you never cook up any gizmos that work better on guys who can stretch?" <laughs> yeah, and that is very funny. That is so funny. Uh, I mean, he I, does it without without batting an eye, but he will make the joke that yeah. seems weird that I'm always the one doing this. So with that gizmo, he's able to burst through the barrier and he frees them. Yes. So now the thing is free and Reed is free and they're off to save Sue. Who from is Claw. bravely running away. Yeah, she's using her invisibility, but he can hear every footstep. It falls like a boom because he can uh, alter sound waves. Yep. And then uh, there's a huge battle. It makes big energy blasts that is viewable from the street. People outside the Baxter building can tell there's something going on. Yeah, I think that's really cool. It like shows them sort of scared by what's happening in the Baxter building. It'd be fun to live next to the Baxter building. Um, yeah, I wouldn't okay, recommend Lockjaw it. Okay, Lockjaw and uh, John... Yeah, <laughs> Wyatt and Johnny and Lockjaw are like hanging around. Lock, the top of 15, Lockjaw is just like licking his lips. Yeah, they're <laughs> just following really Lockjaw around. He's going looking for snacks. <laughs> he won't take them home. He's just going, right. he's hungry. Yeah, he takes them somewhere where there's like something he can eat. It's really adorable. Page uh, 16, Thing and Claw, the FF and Claw, rather, or the Fantastic Three and Claw are going at it. Um, yeah. And let me see, do they win? I think they win. Yeah, they do win. What happened was Reed, off panel, called a friend to send him something. That friend? The Black Panther. What he sent him? Brass knuckles made of vibranium. Oh, and he's able to punch out Claw. I like that Black Panther and Reed are now like best friends. Like they're just in quick communication. Yeah, again, like the Black Panther sort of becoming a supporting character of this book is great. I love the expanding cast. It's really fun. Uh, tell me and something. I will say that- something uh, by the end of this even Kirby run, it seems like the Inhumans are gone. We don't hear from Black Panther as much, and the cast starts feeling smaller. And I think it hurts the book uh, yeah. for me, for Kevin's uh, enjoyment, uh, for Will Hines too. Okay, should we go to the annual? I think that's next in continuity. Yes. Uh, and it sort of takes place in its own little – it's sort of separate enough because at the beginning of the storyline, Johnny and Wyatt and Lockjaw visit. And at the end, they leave again. They teleport away again. Right. So you could sort of slip it in almost anywhere as long as Lockjaw is with them. Right. Um, but technically, I think it happens here, yeah. So we have all FF and Lockjaw and Wyatt. Uh, when they show up, Lockjaw, they give them a huge bucket of milk. It's not even a normal bucket. It's like some Kirby bucket with, like, circuits on the outside. Yeah. I mean, he's hungry. So this is going to be uh, the Human Torch, uh, our Human Torch, Johnny Storm, meets a different character who's also called the Human Torch. Yeah, so this is the original Human Torch from, I don't even know what year the he 40s. started. Uh, yeah, he was a World War II fighting character. He's the second. Was he, was he before Captain America? I think he was. I, I'm not 100% sure of the timeline. I think... I think he was first. I think he's in the very first Marvel Comics issue. Is he before Namor? I think he's before the Submariner. Oh wow! So this is it. This is the. This is really where the Marvel Universe begins. This guy, yeah, Jim Hammond. He's an android who also can uh, ignite himself on fire, just like Johnny. 
I forget the name of the issue. I, I, it might be called Marvel I, Tales. Even though I the think comic, it's Marvel Comics. Okay. Even though the comic is the company is called Timely at that time, or maybe Atlas. Yeah. I, I don't know this. I know there's people who do know it, but it, it, it used to be one of the most valuable comic books ever. Was the first appearance of the original Human Torch. And I, I'm relatively and I believe, certain it's Marvel Comics number one. I think you're right. Okay. But you know, he's created, and then Submariner and Captain America. They're they're all like pretty close together in the 40s iteration of what would become Marvel Comics Company. And Captain America was their biggest hit of the time. Yes. But Namor and um, George were right up there with him. So this is kind of nostalgic. This is sort of like when you get a Doctor Who episode where multiple incarnations of Doctor Who are in the same episode. Yeah. It was this, also, this is this interesting thing where like I think Human Torch is the last of these original invaders to be brought into current continuity. Right. Yeah. Because Namor got brought in in issue four of FF or whatever that was and then um, uh, Captain America gets brought into issue three of the Avengers. Maybe that's yes, also I four. So. And then uh, now we have the original Human Torch back, the last of the big three. Yeah, and he's sort of just here for one issue, but you know, eventually he he's never had the staying power of either Namor or Captain America, but he's been in and out ever since. Well, he doesn't have a good personality, so we don't need his character, and his powers are just totally duplicated in Johnny Storm, so he doesn't like add a lot. I mean, and Johnny Storm is better. Johnny Storm is better. But this is just kind of fun. It's just like this is a I think this is a great use of an annual, like kind of yes. a fan service. Doesn't really advance the overall story, but it's fun. It's like a stunt story. I think it's rad. Um, it's still big, right? Because it's like, oh, we have the original Human Torch back. That is an important thing, but it's also not important to the story. Yeah, it doesn't move anything. You're right. Um, this the character Quasimodo, who was a. So we have the Mad Thinker, who we know about, and that's the one of these many Marvel villains whose main ability is scheduling. Yes, like he's so smart, he can predict the time that everything will happen. Right? That's this dude's thing. Yeah, it's, it's before Google Calendar. You can, like, Top this guy. Yeah. Yeah. He just like he has everything down to the nanosecond. But he has a computer which has like an AI called Quasimodo. And Yeah, which he's just for some reason given the face of like the hunchback of Notre Dame. And he's like this monstrous visage in a computer. It's a sentient computer who is sort of self loathing and desires to be free. I love Quasimodo. Quasimodo is great. He's such an insane character. I love him. And it's a sad ending to the story. Like the end of the story after the Human Torch is defeated by the Our Human Torch and Johnny and Wyatt go back to looking for Crystal. They cut back to Quasimodo, who's been left alone because the uh, thinker is gone, just begging to be alive. Don't, be, don't abandon me. I'm running out of power. I'm going to die. Yeah, I know. It's really dismal and bleak. Uh, there's a lot of... Um bleak endings in ff like when the scrolls are condemned to be cows for the rest of their for lives or whatever like you know or one of the scrolls is yes. like buried alive what for what but seems think, like the rest of his life but those Although are often he does get portrayed free. as like those were always portrayed as like good the ff stopped him this is portrayed as sad yeah this is sad i love quasimodo i'm sure he comes back Even a million though, times but i'm not familiar with how or why uh he comes back he comes back in the next annual oh right, let's go to issue 57 so the next big batch of issues, we have got like four issues here that deal with a Doctor Doom storyline. And that's a really good one, as I recall. It is. I don't love it. I, uh, it's okay. Um, it's definitely better than the early Doom stuff. It isn't as fun to me as the battle for the Baxter building stuff. And mostly because of the silly visual of basically this is a story where Doom steals the surfer's power and then rides around on his surfboard for four <laughs> issues. <laughs> but there's a lot of subplot stuff that happens in here. Uh, the opening splash page shows the Sandman. And uh, the Sandman, as drawn by Jack Kirby and inked by Joe Sinnott, looks really good. 
Yeah, this is before Jack Kirby gives him a much worse costume. So he's still in the original Ditko uh, costume, and he looks great. But yeah, uh, Sandman I, I, this is one of these one of these issues that like I I never recalled. But when we started to reread these, when we reread these issues, and I read these, it's like you know what, this is pretty fun. Um, you know, Doom is Doom has become really fun to me. Like he's just so outlandish and evil and crazy, but he's not quite like you're saying. He's not quite as dumb as he used to be. Uh, right. We know his backstory, which is a really good backstory, and so I'm excited to see Doom. It's a fun plot idea for Doom. Like, if the Silver Surfer exists, Doom would try to steal his cosmic power. That makes complete sense. Uh, and that is basically treated like a subplot. It's like a Silver Surfer subplot to this first issue because the Fantastic Four mostly are just dealing with the Sandman the whole time. Uh, we got lots of good Kirby stuff throughout this. On page 12, we see that Doom has a giant robot he calls the Pacifier, which is like some enforcer robot thing. I mean, the page before that, page 11, is an insane it's- view of... Uh, workshop, it says. Uh, I would love that as a poster. That is classic Jack Kirby. It's funny that Doom and Reed, who are foes, each have competing workshops. Like they each have just insane work. Whatever college they went to, there's some professor who's like, all right, guys, set up your lab. Get as many tubes as possible. Uh, try to stack your machines several stories high. You're going to need a workspace that's a few stories high. Yeah, ceilings are your enemy. Always just be working with a device that's got a lot of gears and stuff hanging off of it. And and at any point, whenever you're working, there should be at least one thing that is crackling with energy. <laughs> you know, he like walks around the lab stations like, I need some more crackle here. Uh, like Doom and Reed aren't the only ones. Everybody from that graduating class is throughout America with insane laboratories. That's my pitch. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Uh, Doom lures the surfer into like looking at some viewfinder of outer space and... and Surfer loves it, and then Doom takes that as an opportunity to knock him out and steal his powers through your classic Kirby siphoning machines. Splash page mid-issue on page 15 after Doom is triumphant and has got the Surfer's power. A lot more splash pages now as Kirby's going on. I I don't know how much of that is uh, just he wants to do it or he wants to do fewer panels and less story. I'm not 100% sure. They look great, though. They look great. We cut back to Johnny and Wyatt and Lockjaw, and they... They're just traveling around different planets. Okay, and then we also check in with the Inhumans, and they're, you know, Black Bolt is injured or something? He is, uh, I forget how he got injured. Were we paying attention to that? We must have run by it, but I'm sure Maximus the Mad is responsible. Uh, But at this point, we've learned that Black Bolt could speak. Yes. I guess at this point, they didn't, uh, it, it was unclear in the comic, it was not said he was just a mute, but now it's turned out that he has the ability to speak. He just has chosen not to. Yeah. We know why as fans of the character, but in the comic, it has not been revealed why Black Bolt has not spoken out loud. Page 19, there's your favorite drawing ever, Dr. Doom on the Silver Surfer's surfboard. Yes. And page 20. It, I, it looks pretty good a, here. Uh, to me, it's like uh, the surfer on the surfboard looks great. Doom on one looks ridiculous. And I don't, that's not fair. I don't know why, but it's yeah. true. I think the surfboard looks sort of equally ridiculous in all cases, but it's a kind of ridiculousness that I admire. It's like, man, that's audacious. We have a nice little bit of um, enlightened sexism at the bottom of page 20. Sue is apprehensive. She somehow can sense that Doom, that that there's evil afoot. They don't yet know that Doom has the surfer's power. Sue senses that there's danger afoot. Reed warmly says, you got to snap out of it. And then That's Sue cool. goes, I can't help it, dear. I've never felt so apprehensive. And Reed's thought bubble. Some may laugh at a woman's intuition, but Sue's never been wrong before. That's the closest we've had to a nice moment between these two in some time. <laughs> yeah, that's the least mean he's been to Sue since I got married. 
warmly condescending. Move on to issue 58. Yes. The Dismal Dregs of Defeat. Great title. Yes, it is. Very, uh, alliteration is Stan's friend. Alliteration and just sort of like wonderfully indulgent vocabulary, you know? Like the vocabulary of Marvel Comics is definitely higher than your standard comic book. And it's 100% because of Stan Lee. I would definitely would not have known the adjective hoary without Stan. <laughs> yeah, H-O-A-R-Y. Yeah, the hoary host of Hoggoth. I'm still uh, not 100% sure what that means. Me either, but it sounds um, ominous, powerful. Uh, using the word hoary out of context really gets you some looks, I've noticed. Yeah, yeah, I think I walk into you coffee first said shops it, I had to think like, about what you were saying. I walk into coffee shops, I'm like, I'm feeling pretty hoary. They're like, geez, look at this guy's out of touch. Um, <laughs> all right, so... Except, uh, for, except for Dr. Doom in the corner going, I get it. <laughs> Man, do we just jump right into it here? Yeah, Doom basically now has the power cosmic, and he contacts the FF to brag about it to them. Uh, and they're not sure what it is. They're not sure what they saw or what happened. It, they almost think they're imagining things. Um, and Doom's just sort of playing with them. There's a weird little interlude where Ben is reading ghost stories. And Reed touches his shoulder. This is page four and five. And and, Reed, and, and Ben is so scared he smashes through the wall. <laughs> That's pretty fun. His book is just called Ghost Stories. So he can't miss it. <laughs> That's right. And I Bottom think of Reed page f- and Sue go on a date. They go on a date. Bottom of page they go five. Away, um, yeah, they go away for the weekend. That's right. Yeah. Bottom of page five, Ben makes reference to Aunt Petunia. What in the name of Aunt Petunia is bugging me? That becomes a, th- a Ben Grimm classic phrase. Yeah. And it, maybe it's happened before. I'm not sure, but it's definitely become one of his many catchphrases. He's Aunt Petunia's favorite nephew, right? That's a thing he says sometimes. And then under the John Byrne run, we meet Aunt Petunia. That's right. She showed up again recently when Dan. That's fun. That's a good time. The Reed and Sue are going on a date. Ben is left to hold down the fort. Doom, imbued with the power cosmic, shows up and starts stuff. Yeah, attacks the thing. The thing is all in on this fight, and um. It's brutal. I mean, I don't know. Um, uh, at some point, they're just smashing through everything, and then the th- Doom does something to the thing where he, like, freezes him in place after, like, four issues of destroying the city. Um, four pages. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I like that Jack, or Stan, but I assume it's Jack, come up with sort of creative ways to use abilities. So Doom just kind of vaguely has a great power. Like, he theoretically could just punch somebody really hard or maybe make them float up into space but what he does to ben Grimm is make his body heavy so that he is essentially a statue yeah that's a great way to immobilize thing later on in this fight a couple issues later he does make a ben float away but not yet now he's making him a statue for all intents and purposes so we do a quick cut to johnny and white who've come back to new york yeah lockjaw i think has sensed that they're needed in a way and has brought them back to the to this fight yeah, um, and Johnny sees that there's like a big hole in their home. Yeah, and then Reed and Sue, who um, are supposed to be in a retreat, but Reed has found some gadgets that he's messing with. But then they yeah. are attacked by Doom. Doom shows up to take them down next. Uh, he, you know, he hates Reed Richards. Even when Sue uses her power to make, uh, oh no, uh, I guess it's not made invisible. Doom like creates some sort of mallet to hit a <laughs> Reed with out of nothing. Uh, now well, I can use the cosmic power to create any type of weapon I desire. This energy-activated mace is what he comes up with. Not that imaginative. <laughs> Basically, the Fantastic Three are having trouble fighting Doom. Thing is immobilized in Central Park, and Wyatt Wingfoot finds him and frees him with some device. 
Yeah, first Johnny sees the thing is frozen and takes off and, and finally tracks down. Yeah, he gets sort of knocked down by the board. And while that's happening, yes, Wyatt finds the thing. And what's this device? Where did he get it? I guess it's, yeah, he's, it's, I think this is sort of Stan Lee dialogue explaining something that doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. That the torch said that this device could help you. I don't know how the what? torch knew that. Yeah. At some point, Johnny is faced off against Doom and Doom like covers him in frost. And yep. then Johnny explodes in flame to free himself and has to fly away to recharge. And then it's this is a pretty fun battle. Yeah, and it basically ends with Doom has won. They can't even slow him down. They have they don't and even Doom, make a dent. And Doom just says, like, I, I had intended to wipe you off the face of the earth, but now I've conceived a still greater revenge. You who have never before been vanquished shall live out the rest of your life. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we are back. All right, we have two more issues. 59. Yeah, Doomsday. This is bad news. Doom is the most powerful person on Earth. Uh, Uh, The rest of your days in abject hopelessness, never knowing when I shall snuff out your worthless lives at a whim. There can be no greater punishment for you than the knowledge that you are totally helpless. He flies away. Should we? That's the end of the issue. Should we take a break? Yeah, we should take our break, I think. All right, uh, guys, we'll be right back. Uh, the Silver Surfer can't stop him. Uh, things are bleak. Yeah. Reed is making a message for uh, the world saying, hey, guys, uh, we can't beat this guy. So right now, don't do anything. Don't make him mad. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. We cut to the Great Refuge. Yes. So there's a cool little subplot. The Inhumans take a big step forward in this uh, issue. It, the Black Bolt speaks. It turns out his voice is basically like a nuclear bomb. Yeah, even a whisper from him is uh, the concussive force of his voice is so brutal. But in this one, he uh, screams and he like knocks down buildings, shatters part of the city they live in, but also knocks down the barrier, which they're now calling the Great Barrier. It seems like they're not calling it the negative zone anymore. And uh, they're free. Um, I skipped over Doom just sort of torturing lots of people like he goes back to his kingdom of Latveria and he just wreaks havoc. He's just showing he off his like, power. And he, like, kicks around the surfer a little bit. He's a bad dude. He's, he's being a jerk. But, I mean, he has got infinite power right now. So if he's ever deserved to do it, it's now. Yeah, he goes around. He, like, freezes a desert. He turns, like, a gorilla into uh, some sort of weird monster. He's basically just, like, a kid with a can of spray paint at this point. So the issue ends and Doom has declared himself master of Earth or that he's about to be master of Earth because he's tested his power so thoroughly and he believes that just nobody can stop. But Reed is building something that he believes can help stop Doom. And we don't know what that thing is. It looks like a little it looks like the Green Goblin bat glider a little bit. He made a small version of it. and Now he's making a bigger version of it. It's something that can deal with the cosmic power. Okay, so that's the end of issue 59. Yeah, now we go into issue 60, and this is the end of this little storyline. It's got a great cover with the thing and Doom sort of punching at each other on the cover and the rest of the FF sort of watching helplessly. Yeah, this is the peril and the power. Um, And we see, like, a Doom beaching a ship on a pile of rocks. Like, there's no point to what he's doing. He's just kind of showing off. Yeah, he's just like a god 
but like a mischievous sort of mean little petty god who's just kind of being a bully arbitrarily. Top of page three is Doom on a surfboard. It just looks dumb to me. (laughs) I love it. But it does look insane. Um, Johnny's flying after Doom and just sort of attacks him. Yeah, Reed has told nobody to attack him, but Johnny just can't wait any longer. So they have like a little squabble. Um, It seems like Doom could just kill anybody with a thought, but he doesn't do that. Yeah, he doesn't do it arbitrarily because he he claims, oh, I don't need to, so why would I? Server Surfer is still a prisoner in a tower in Latveria in Doom's kingdom. The other FF are in a jet flying to confront Doom and they're talking to uh, Black Panther on a video screen. Yes, that's right. And the Black Panther is drawn the way Jack Kirby originally designed him to be drawn with his the lower part of his face not covered in a mask. Okay. And in the original issues, if you look at it, like that part is really dark because someone went in later and inked, or just in it, I guess, went in and inked it to make it a mask. Which so do you for like a little better? while, I like the full mask. There's something very cool about the jet black costume. Yeah, head to toe, all black. Um, but yeah, for a little while here and there, every now and then Black Panther shows up in this version of the costume because people want to uh, basically pay homage to Kirby's original design. But anyway, yes, the Black Panther is giving them some advice and, uh, you know, they go to see Doom and Doom basically hits them with a giant tree and throws giant boulders at them. Uh, Doom wants to punch the thing because the thing last time they fought broke his hands. Yeah. So he's still mad about that. Uh, and like Doom makes his own hands bigger. It's, it's really Donald Trumpian <laughs> the yeah. way Doom wants his hands to look big here. Yeah. Uh, and sort of starts crushing the thing in revenge. He's really petty. Then we cut to the never interfering watcher who is. Who, and this story does not interfere. Yeah. He just observes. And this one he gets distracted because there's a new species on in Sector 34. So he leaves and doesn't watch the end of the battle. The battle is raging. Um, they're sort of, I would say they're sort of at a stalemate. They're kind of just trading blows for a lot of this battle. They're, they are holding their own despite being severely overpowered. On page 14, the thing is uh, float, floated up into the anti-gravity stasis field, which he has trapped the thing in forever. <laughs> it's a heck of a move. Yeah, the thing's response is, now you're in for it, which (laughs) seems like a silly response. Uh, My buddies will get me down from there. I'll flatten you yet. There's lots of just cool creative uses of all their powers here. We do a little cutaway to the Inhumans now that they're freed and they're kind of wandering around the wilderness. Yes, they're just... They're also just going around creating havoc. Medusa's stealing people's guns with her hair. Karnak's chopping down trees. But by page 19, Reed has finally unleashed his device. Yeah. So it's this flying wing that is like stealing Doom's power. It's tapping his cosmic power. And Doom is mad about it. But he's like, I got plenty of cosmic power. I can take this thing down. And he chases after it. But Reed has programmed it to fly into outer space where the surfer is not able to go because of Galactus's limitation. And so when he does that, he blows up. (laughs) And it's over. They FF win. Yep, it's over. The thing collapses to the ground because he's been floating for the last five or six pages, and the board <laughs> flies off to go find the surfer. It's like Thor's hammer. It goes back to its owner. Yeah, eventually. And that's the uh, end of this pretty sort of quick doom, ending. cosmic power doom story. Pretty good one. Yeah, it wasn't bad. So now we head into a, what is it, a two-issue, a three-issue sort of uh, negative zone story now? 
I think uh, I think it's two issues. This is sort of the Sandman shows up in a new costume, and then there's Blastar from the Negative Zone. I don't totally like Sandman's new costume. I hate it. So I'll go a step further. Mm-hmm. There's like some mm-hmm. talk about this costume being like a power up, like it re- releases chemicals into his sand so that he can do more things with his powers. But it looks worse. I, I just the power upgrade doesn't seem really much of anything. By the time he goes back to uh, yeah. fight Spider-Man, he quickly drops his costume and he goes back to a striped shirt, which just works. I mean, Ditko knew what he was doing. Yeah. He looks better as just like a thug. Here he looks like sort of a Kirby Roman era hero type of thing, and it doesn't work for Sandman's personality. Uh, but the Sandman shows up and attacks the Fantastic Four. It's not super interesting, but it's not terrible. But there's a cool cutaway to Peter Parker watching a football game. <laughs> Um, oh, where is that? I, I don't remember that. Um, I'm deep into uh, it. I'm at like issue 13. Basically what happens before that is Crystal gets permission to go find Johnny. So she teleports to his college, uh, which is in the middle of a football game that Peter and MJ are watching and White Wingfoot's there. But Johnny happens to not be there. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Peter sees Lockjaw up here. And one of our readers who uh, uh, I, I should look up right now, but I'm not, uh, pointed out that he read that. On page 13, this drawing of Peter Parker and Mary Jane was drawn by John Romita. Yeah, it looks very Romita. And if you look at it, it for sure is. And there's some pencils where this page, the Kirby's pencils of this just have a blank space there. He, like, left it open. Pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, so back at the Baxter building, they're dealing with Sandman. Um, Johnny enters the fray. Art looks good. There's just kind of just general fighting going on here. Yeah, and at this point, they're calling the negative zone the negative zone. Um, Reed's plan, I think, is to open the negative zone and suck um, the Sandman into it. But instead, Reed gets sucked into it. Or maybe they both get sucked into it. Um, Reed is definitely sucked into it. And they assume he's, at the end of the issue, we assume he's dead. Oh, yeah. Sandman jumps out the window and Reed gets sucked into the negative zone. Yeah, and so Reed is dead. He went to the negative zone. He's going to, last time we saw him in here, the fake thing was the only thing that could save him by jumping in and throwing him out. Right. That was in This Man, This Monster. But now there is no This Man, This Monster. It's just Reed trapped in the negative zone. So we think he's dead. Yes. All right, Um, um, 62, issue 62, and one shall save him. That's right. Open with Thing <laughs> on the world's most impractical phone. That's right. I don't know what this thing. It's a trans barrier phone, um, and and Ben is giving Reed a call. It's like the ultimate cell phone. It can call another dimension. Yeah, wherever. And Reed uh, is like talking and, into his wrist. And uh, Reed is like floating through the negative zone, and he's he also assumes he's about to die. Tells tells Sue I love her. Don't like put her on the phone or anything. Just please pass the message. Yeah, that's right. Crystal and Lockjaw show up. Even, but yeah. Johnny is so distraught over Reed that maybe this reunion is not what it would. Ooh, what cool stuff on page, um, this photo collage on four and five. Yeah, right before that, though, on page three is another example of these emotions at a thousand. When Crystal shows up and sees Johnny crying, she takes it so personally. Don't you care? Do I no longer mean anything to you? Yeah, she's as insulted right to, away. As opposed to what's wrong. But we see but a yes, cool photo page. collage of Reed floating through the negative zone. The FF are just totally distraught. Yeah, it's but a double-page Chris- spread. It's really crazy. Yeah. I wonder if Kirby is just trying to, like, get the issue finished quicker with all these big pictures, but they look great. I mean, this is um, the first double-page spread, I think, in the run, right? Might be, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Crystal sees the problem, has an idea, and teleports away, but she doesn't tell us what it is. Meanwhile, in the negative zone, there's some alien creatures who are, are basically throwing a body into this asteroid field that gets sucked into the antimatter Earth, and it happens to land on the same meteor that Reed is holding on to. We don't know who's in this a suit, but somebody is. The people who drop him off are like, he's far too dangerous to remain at large upon our own planet. And yet so powerful, we do not have the means to slay him. So there's some, this is a fearsome creature. That's right. And now Reed and this fearsome creature are sort of hanging on to the same meteor. I love, page eight is such a beautiful shot. Oh, it's so great. It's maybe one of the best in this run that we're covering right now. That's um, my poster. That is a great poster. It's almost as good as my Doom on the surfboard. I wish Doom was given a little hang 10 sign. That's the only thing that's missing from this Doom surfboard picture. I feel like you don't like me. Okay, so we cut to the Inhumans. They are out in the wild. They've run into some sort of insurgents in wherever they are. Yeah, and they take them down just out of, uh, I guess, just kindness to the world at large. Yeah, just so they don't create trouble. Lockjaw shows up. He's fetching a stick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Crystal explains the problem, and Black Bolt says, oh, take this guy with you. We don't see who he's pointing at because this is the guy who can help you, basically, with his hand signals. And so um, we cut back to the Baxter building, and Crystal shows up with Lockjaw and Triton, the undersea fishman. That's who Black Bolt said is the only person that can save Reed. I don't quite know the logic of that, but um, Triton It's something about him zone. swimming swimming through space is like swimming through the ocean. It's it's. I think it's maybe just Kirby likes Triton. But Triton gets into the negative zone. He's got some, like, air guns that let him propel himself. And he catches up with Reed, and he does rescue him. I will say this Triton's sort of the weakest member of the Inhumans, I would argue. Okay. They do more to make him useful than they ever did for Sue. <laughs> yeah, that's true. In the same amount of time. It'd be so much cooler if Sue saved him, like, story-wise. Yeah, for sure. Um, but Triton does save Reed, but Blastar is freed. Oh, sorry. The, the creature that we didn't know who it is breaks out of his costume and announces that his name is Blastar. Yes. It's a great name. And he's, he sort of, like, shoots bomb blasts out of his hands or something. He basically looks like a Teen Wolf, but in a Galactus costume. Teen Wolf? <laughs> he looks like Calibac, right? Isn't that the name of... Uh... Darkseid's lesser yes. son. He does look like that, yeah. Also or Teen Wolf. Wolf. Uh, so Blastar gets out of the negative zone. He follows Triton and Reed out, and so he's in our world. And he yeah. meets up with the uh, Sandman, I, I think, and they team up. Yeah, you're right. This is a three-issue storyline. Yeah, Sandman sort of finds him and goes, hey, let's work together. And Blastar's like, I don't really need you, but okay. <laughs> and the Sandman thinks to himself, I'll string him along for now till we've polished off the FF. But what'll happen after that? It's like, the same man doesn't get that he is basically just teamed up with an otherworldly, cosmic, powerful character. <laughs> he's quick to he's quick to make friends. Sure, he needs he knows he needs help to take down the FF. Um, issue uh, sixty three called Blastar: The Living Bomb Burst. <laughs> yes, very fun. Uh, we just start mid battle. Yeah, they're all at now. Triton's there to help fight, but it's yeah, Blastar and Sandman versus Triton and the FF, and Crystal's there too. We get a lot of people here. Um, Blastar's in Manhattan. He's uh, he's got a doom like ability to. He's just a classic Marvel villain where he's constantly proclaiming his like abilities. Yeah, there's not much to this issue. This is just a giant fight for 20 pages. I don't know. So th- there's a lot of just Jack Kirby being creative with all these very visual powers. But let's just cut to the end because this issue is sort of forgettable to me. It is sort of forgettable. There's this weird thing where Sandman leaves his suit behind. Like his suit doesn't turn to sand. Another reason why I don't like this new outfit. Yeah. 
Uh, he uh, goes yeah, into the, the ocean. There's a big fight. They like, you know, um, eventually, yeah, they, they throw Sandman into the water and he gets diluted. And then they <laughs> they defeat Blastar with some sort of weird helmet they put on him. And then and, they like, uh, throw him he, back into the negative zone, I guess. He is subdued. Yeah. Take a look at page 20, Will. Look at Reed. Is he is he bulking up? He's just huge, man. You think there's steroids involved? For sure, there's steroids involved. It's science, right? How's the size of his head? Uh, it's not. It's not as big as his giant arms. His neck's okay. pretty thick, I guess. He's not quite Barry Bonds jacked, but there's something going on. I guess maybe he knows since his ability is stretching. If he gets muscles, he's got more stuff to stretch. Yeah, he's just been working out constantly when we don't see him. We think he's working in the lab, but he's like. Just lifting. He's hitting the gym hard. Uh, the next two issues kind of bring up the Kree for the first time in Marvel Comics. The Kree being, for you MCU fans, the uh, race that was in the recent Captain Marvel movie. Uh, sort of the enemies of the Skrulls eventually. And so this is just a new alien race, which is important. But I found these two issues really boring. Yeah, it's like it is significant to the Marvel Universe, but I can never remember anything. We do have a great splash page on 64. This is the Sentry Sinister where Thing is just holding up some. I mean, how big is this room? <laughs> yeah, the, the Thing is holding like an, some piece of a device that is larger like than a football field, I would say. Se- several airplane hangers fit inside the Baxter building. Yes, I, I also kind of don't remember this story at all. Um, a sentry wakes up, this kind of robot creature who looks sort of like the X-Men Sentinels-ish not in yeah. that world. And the Fantastic Four decide to go on a vacation. They pick it by throwing a dart at a map. Yeah. And they go to this random island that happens to have this robot on it. And they fight him. And then they uh, destroy him, right? I think they can't destroy him. They might just somehow... Oh, how's it end? I think they might just cover him up or leave him behind. Oh yeah, they just they just they just take off, um, and he is sent from the Cree. He is a Cree something. Yes, and he talks about the Cree a lot. We don't really know what that is. There's also this thing. Um, I wrote down that Reed is awful to jo- uh, Sue in this a lot. He's mean to her. There's also this thing where like Johnny races off to help them and leaves Crystal behind. So here's a new thing that starts happening. These issue is that Johnny has a girlfriend, Crystal, who controls weather, and they never bring her on missions. Yeah, that seems to be a powerful ability. She's more powerful than I think all of them. Yeah, but they le- but she's a woman, so leave her sidelined. If they were using Sue a lot, I, I can sort of understand focusing on your main characters, but I don't know. Yeah, but it's just like they're with each other, and it's like moments like this where it's like you stay here, Crystal. I'm gonna go and save my friend. It's like why don't you all go? You're all superheroes. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that starts happening. But this issue is sort of boring. It's just a big robot they fight on an island, and then Lockjaw takes them off the island. I think, like, the island sort of explodes at the end, but the, the sentry is fine. <laughs> so let's go to issue 65, From Beyond Earth. And this introduces Ronin, who was first seen in the MCU universe uh, in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. But this oh, is his yeah, introduction. Ronin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Judge, jury, and executioner of the Kree. And there is some sort of, we also see the supreme intelligence. Yes, that's another thing. On page that, two. So he's something that about a, that's the That's a Kree, Kree thing. Yeah. Yes, he's sort of like the, the guy in charge of the Kree. I don't think he's in charge. He's like the wise leader. I guess he is the leader. It's unclear. Um, 
He's, he's the sort of, living embodiment of power. He is the supreme intelligence of the majestic race of the Kree. And he and he basically contacts them during the, while they sleep. And they all have a dream about the supreme intelligence, which also reveals that Johnny and Ben share a bed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> there, it's like the Beatles in the movie Help. They're all just sort of like living in the same room. Um yeah, bottom of page couple, four, we there's have. There's a couple a, pages where they okay. just talk about how they had this dream together. Oh, yes. Bottom of page four. Talk about that. Bottom of page four is Reed and Sue. And Kevin, for people who think that Reed isn't nice, let's just see how he showers affection on his wife here. Yeah, he's really, he, uh, he's a stretches sweetheart his here. arm around her and. Yeah. Listen, you lovely little cupcake. You know I'd do anything in the world for you. I'd face a million superpowered foes without a second thought. But when I see one tear in your gorgeous, one tear in your gorgeous eyes, it destroys me. Then you mean. I mean you're right. I've been a blind, inconsiderate fool, but I'm going to make up for it. And I'm like, hey, this sounds pretty good. Then he goes, I want to buy you a whole new wardrobe, and then you and I will do the town like it's never been done before. Darling, I don't know what to say. Fine. <laughs> Wives should be kissed and not heard. <laughs> yeah. He was doing so well into that last sentence. Um, Sue is written really stupid here. She's talking about how she wants – she's like, I just want clothes. I want new clothes. I don't want to wear a costume anymore. It's like, ugh, I don't like when Sue is just turned into a cliche stand-up comedy from the 60s about women. I'm a woman. I want feminine dress. I want foolish hairdos. That's what she wants in life. <laughs> foolish hairdos she and feminine dresses. She calls them foolish hairdos. It's like, oh, come on. And feminine dresses. But that's all business as usual for the FF. So we get to Ronan, the um, accuser. We meet yes. him, and he shows up on Earth, and uh, he's ready to judge, jury, and execute. That's right. And he, they, he's been alerted, I guess, by that century from the previous issue. The Supreme Intelligence was alerted and then sent Ronan to judge Earth. And he, like, sets up this sort of big triangle thing. I don't know. There's a lot going on in this issue that not much happens. Um, um, thing gets some thing that makes him disintegrate? No, the thing claps his hands. And the shockwave destroys the... Are you? What page are you on? Oh, I was ahead. That's page seven. Oh. Yes, I saw that. Great. Thing claps his hands and does that. I was on page ten. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, there's some box that's sent to the thing, and yeah, he gets teleported to the to, to wherever Ronan is. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> uh, Ronan is a pretty formidable opponent. He takes down the torch. He like extinguishes the torch. Thing is sort of knocked. Got the wind knocked out of him. Yeah, basically Ronan just got this big hammer. It's unclear what his power is. He like sh- sort of shoots lasers at them. Something is holding the thing down. Like it's so heavy. Ronan somehow making. Oh yeah, it, heavy, it feels like there's a whole planet on my fight back. against it. It's like there's a planet on uh, the thing's back holding him down, but he doesn't care. He just keeps crawling towards Ronan. Meanwhile, there's a subplot with Alicia being taken off by some weird dude who can walk through walls. That'll be answered next issue. Uh, but eventually, the thing reaches Ronan, despite the fact that there's a planet on his back, and pins him. And once he's pinned, the FF attack. And they win, right? Ronan just kind of vanishes or something? Yeah, they all fight for a while, and eventually Ronan like, collapses on top of his own weapon. And when he collapses on top of his own weapon, he disappears. It's these couple, this is sort of my least favorite part since the uh, real silly issues. This Blastar, this Sentry... This Ronan and then this next two issues with uh, Adam Warlock. But that's sort of where we're at. Okay. But yeah, so Ronan just sort of zaps himself and vanishes. Um, and now they're looking for – the next issue starts with them looking for Alicia who's vanished. 
Like they're trying to keep up the momentum of the Galactus issues, but just none of the storylines feel as engaging. Yeah, it's not you're not you're not pulled forward to the next issue like we used to be. So issue sixty six, what lurks behind the beehive? <laughs> that title is also sort of real boring. Alicia's missing, they're curious about it. <laughs> okay, I do like these dudes. Um it's some kind of like hidden land. And there's like just three old, not three like scientist dudes who are both built like muscular bouncers wearing some futuristic sci-fi society jumpsuits and uh, are men of science. Yeah. And they're trying to create the perfect man, I guess, is their goal. Their names are Hamilton, Zoda, and Morlack. It's Shinsky, Zoda, and Morlack. And Hamilton is the one who retrieved Alicia. That's their names. Yeah. And they need somebody to sculpt a body for him, but it's the room is so blinding and nobody can see in there, so they need a blind sculptor, which is why they kidnapped Alicia. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. Uh, Thing is walking around uh, New York. He's moping because Alicia's gone. He assumes that she's just left him. Alicia also accepts this uh, request by these people who kidnapped her to sculpt the perfect man. We don't have time for people in the in FF stories. We don't have time for people to second guess anything. You got to jump right in. Uh, and somehow, like, uh, Reed Johnny and Chris, div- Crystal's mad at Johnny because he abandoned her. Oh, go ahead. Uh, Reed built a device so that he could see what happens in the room when they weren't there. So somehow, this room like plays a movie of what happened in Alicia's room while she wasn't there, despite the fact that he did not record it. It's a crazy device. Yeah, that technology should be given to the world <laughs> and because of that he sees that like oh they walk through this wall because he had some sort of weird bracelet and reed is able to build that bracelet from sight uh so that yeah, they he can also engineers him. it yeah yeah that's pretty impressive thinking i guess if you saw a picture of a tv and being like i can make one of those and so the ff are going to come try to rescue alicia right yes that's right okay and that leads us to next issue the power of him yeah, and this is the last regular issue we're going to cover. We've got an annual we might also cover real quick. Or maybe not. Maybe we'll skip it. We're going so long. Issue 67, The Power of Him. Uh, and Him will later be renamed Adam Warlock. If you've heard of that character, that's who mm-hmm. we're, this is, that's whose origin is here. They don't call him that here. He's a character that's sort of adopted by Jim Starlin in his Thanos stories. Okay. But here he's also like... These, also, these three scientists have just been brought back, and recently Marvel Comics released an issue called Marvel Comics 1000 to celebrate okay. the 80th anniversary of Marvel, and those scientists play a part in that story. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I got to say, Kirby likes, he has unique drawings. They're not just like your standard looking scientists. One dude is like a blonde Flash Gordon, one's like a bald, evil villain dude, and then we have an old guy with a cane. I don't know. They're, <laughs> they're a real strange looking trio. Well, they're all evil. Yeah, they're all power mad. They're power mad, yeah. So they're trying to make a um, perfect man. He wants to create a new race, a new breed, living beings who could conquer mankind. But we'd control them alone. That's their plan, Will, just in case you're curious why they're bad guys. Uh, Yeah, they're bad guys. Uh, The FF, um, they're kind of having some downtime here. We see them eating breakfast. Ben eats like 15 pancakes and a gulp. Yeah, that's right. Johnny toasts uh, his own toast with his hands. Yeah, there's a bit where there's a little bit of a Stan Lee uh, Spider-Man dialogue where Johnny's flirting with uh, Crystal, sort of the way I remember Peter flirting with Gwen. He goes, I'm mad about you. Yeah. 
and gives her a kiss, and she's so wowed by the kiss that uh, yeah, she's just in love with him. Uh, meanwhile, back at the scientist lair, Alicia's in some crazy getup, and she's approaching the cocoon that holds the man who will one day be known as Adam Warlock. And the cocoon looks cool. Yeah, it looks great. It showed up at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. They show this cocoon. Oh, I didn't know that. In one of the teaser oh, scenes, yeah. I believe. Okay, so the FF show up, and they're here to rescue Alicia, and they immediately just start fighting. Yeah, they don't bring Crystal or Sue. That's <laughs> so dumb. Um, yeah. And so it they ends don't bring with... Um, probably the two most useful power sets they leave behind. Yep. They bring stretching, punching, and flames. <laughs> Not controlling the weather and force fields. That's right. Who needs those powers? Uh, all right. Well, they have a big fight with these guys, but it ends with Adam Warlock being born. Yeah, the perfect man. The and perfect all he man does, emerges. he just sort of, uh, he comes out, he sees his creators, and he knows the true nature of their evil plans. Therefore, he's, therefore, I have no reluctance to do what must be done. This planet of humans is not for me, not yet, not till another millennium has passed. Thus, I shall take my leave. Um, and then he basically zaps away the entire base. Yeah, he shows up in panel three of the last page, and then four panels later, destroys them and the base. <laughs> and himself, yeah. And the Fantastic Four have, like, escaped with Alicia two panels earlier. <laughs> that is a fast wrap-up. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that that character led to Thanos and all the cosmic stuff that Jim Starlin did, because he seems forgettable. But anything Jack Kirby had his fingers on, people like to go back and use again. Oh, we've got one more left, the uh, annual. That's right. This is annual five. It's the second to last annual we'll be covering because pretty soon they become all reprints. Um, this has got a cool villain called, or I think he's cool, it's called Psycho Man. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of cool and sort of dumb at the same time. He's cool and dumb. He's like, he's fun Kirby stuff. Like, Did he Psycho not show Man, up? To, he shows up in John Byrne stuff. Didn't he show up earlier? Oh, yeah, he did show up earlier. Because he's from the yes. microverse. Yes, yes, you're right. We've seen Psycho Man before. Yes, yeah, so Psycho Man is back. Um, so we have, this is like just another like annual where we just throw a lot of characters in and they're, they're kind of fun to see together, right? Uh, yeah, there's this weird uh, cowboy dude. <laughs> I don't know what's <laughs> going on in this issue, I'll be honest. Yeah, I can't remember. It looks like Mulholland Drive by David Lynch where there's just these characters that we don't know what's hap- happening. Yeah. Um, Somehow the Psycho Man has come to our Earth. He's come to our Earth. This cowboy guy is wrestling with the tussling with tussling with the uh, Inhumans and the Black Panther. The Mad Thinker is here. Uh, And Black Panther's here. Everybody's in this issue. What happens in this issue? I don't. I can barely remember. I was reading this one pretty fast. Um, Oh, I think what happens is Sue. They find out Sue is pregnant. That's what happens in this issue. Um, Oh, Sue gets pregnant. That's they discover, they reveal that Sue is pregnant. That's how the story starts. Oh, that's exciting. Right? Or maybe they find out at the end. She faints at the beginning. They don't know why. That's it. Okay, so Sue faints at the beginning. And then Psycho Man shows up and steals stuff from the FF. Uh, uh, Somehow, I don't know how Black Panther and humans get involved in this story, but they do. Like They all sort of team up with the FF minus Sue to fight the Psycho Man. And it's a pretty cool fight sequence, even if it feels emptier than recent issues it's sort of similar to that human torch versus human torch it's like a cool fight but what really happens i don't know this the backup story in this issue is really um interesting to me okay go into it it's a 
It's called uh, This Is a Plot, and it's written and drawn by Jack Kirby and credited to him, which is weird because uh, Stan usually never credits anything to Jack. But it's a three-page, like, slapstick portrayal of how Stan and Jack make an issue, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazier than even the Stanley Steve Ditko, how they make a Spider-Man issue story. It, it's sort of like a early Mad Magazine style thing where there's just tons of visual jokes. The characters just have different outfits from panel to panel for like no reason. And it's very silly. And it's like, I think of Kirby as so epic and heroic and stuff that to see him kind of unleash a total silly side, he's not as good at it as Steve Ditko. No. Like his slapstick is not as funny as Steve Ditko's. I mean, it's really cool looking art, you know? He's obviously just like this super talented illustrator. It's basically their characters. That, I don't even know what happens. Their characters are attacking them or their fans attack them or something. Yeah, I mean, it's only three pages. Um, and yeah, it's just insane. It's just so much happens. Like, I guess I'm just coming up with a plot while being attacked by fans. It's insane. It doesn't make sense. Like, it's it's an excuse to draw funny things. And the he doesn't worry about whether it makes sense or what the logic is. And this is actually an argument of how Stan would contribute to stuff. And that I think Stan was better just about comic book logic and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. There's also another backup story. There's a lot of story in this annual where Silver Surfer gives Quasimodo a body. Is a happy Quasimodo, ending for Quasimodo? No, not really, because Quasimodo then goes crazy and tries to destroy stuff, and the surfer has to take his body away. Oh, yeah. Well, he had it for a little while. Uh, yeah, he makes him a statue on top of a clock. Yeah. Uh, but it, I do like Quasimodo even in this story. This feels like a test to see if the surfer could be a solo character. It's a pretty good annual. It's a great annual. It's the last real good one because the next one um which we won't cover today uh is there another one yes there's one more we cover oh the next one's good too i take that back <laughs> but it's shorter oh maybe um, it's not the next one's huge too it's crazy they're still packing this much in so i'm gonna call an audible right now we should break the next batch into two more episodes yeah this was a lot to cover um so we got two more episodes left of issues uh, and, we, and we have some guests coming to, do, to be interviewed. We, we still have a lot left. And we still need to talk about Johnny Storm. We've got some mail to cover. Yep. we got a lot I think to we'll do. Have to, we'll have to do that in another episode, I think. Yeah, I think maybe we do a short one next week, just sort of catch up. Catch up on and, mail, talk about Johnny Storm, yeah. Yeah, unless we have an interview. But in the next non-interview episode, let's do a catch up, and then we'll cover some more issues. Okay. These stories are pretty good. Like, this is Jack Kirby not at full power, and he still is great. We are churning through them, and that probably, they don't deserve that. They're but better they are than just that. such a letdown from the previous 13. They're not as impactful as what came before, you know? Yeah. Mostly a compliment to how impactful the other ones were. But Jack Kirby is getting less emotionally invested in the Fantastic Four. That's definitely happening. Yeah, it, for it sure. It feels like that. It feels like that. I can't say what he was feeling, but it looks like that. It's just so um, much. I mean, it's tough. Any great creator who makes this much stuff, 102 issues, it can't stay that good. It's just impossible. Right. It's impossible. <laughs> There's even parts of the Sandman 75 issues that aren't as good, I think, um, as some of the earlier stuff. The Sandman, Neil Gaiman's classic series. Yes. Not the Ditko villain. Well, Kevin, we did it. Whew. Guys, well, uh, I guess we should wrap this episode up and we'll... Um and keep checking out our Instagram, uh, Screw It Comics, mm-hmm. uh, and our Twitter, Screw It Comics, and emailing us at ScrewItSpidey at Gmail. Yeah. Uh, if anybody is reading any of these Fantastic Four issues, please let us know. We'd like to hear from you. 
Bye, Will. See you later, Kevin. Good job podcasting. <laughs> All right. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. Just about comics. This is Patrick. And this is Mark, co-host of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we're your home for all things Nintendo. On Tuesday, we're talking about the latest Nintendo news. And on Thursday, we're doing deep dives into specific corners of the Nintendo universe. Ranking the Koopa Kids. Determining who the best Smash Fighter is. That's Nintendo Cartridge Society on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.